Hello, it's episode 380 of the Keto Diet Podcast. My name is Leanne Vogel. I'm a holistic nutritionist and functional blood chemistry specialist. I've also been doing the keto low carb thing since before it was cool, like way, way, way back when <laughs> there was only two of us talking about it. And now I feel like keto has like morphed into this crazy world that is just so incredibly confusing. And also everyone just talks about macros or that's like a huge portion of it. And it's been really important to me over the last couple of years to bring in more conversations, not just about does it fit your macros, which I've never been too keen on, but just how do you live a low carb lifestyle long term while also benefiting every aspect of your health. And so I wanted to have my friend on Ashley Sauvet to talk about the gut. And Ashley and I go way back without even knowing it. I followed her for quite some time. She's brilliant. And I guess she'd been following me for some time. And so we both kind of like super stalked each other on Instagram. You know how it is, those friends that you have on social media. And we just started talking and I was like, Ashley needs to come on the show to chat with you guys. She is a holistic nutritionist and herbalist specializing in chronic digestive issues. Her clinic, the Boreal Natural Health Center, provides natural health care to Northern Ontario and her private practice helps clients all over the world restore their gut health. She's a nerd for all things bacteria and botanicals and deeply passionate about using nutrition and plant medicine to restore health. It's like, I'm not even kidding, Ashley. Like if you follow her on Instagram, I highly suggest just going to at Ashley Sauvet Health. If you're unsure how to spell that, it'll be in the show notes, no problem. And just follow her along and you'll quickly see like she's got it going on. She knows what's up. And if you have questions about your gut, she's the one to go to. Brilliant. I'm so excited to share today's episode where we're talking about bacteria and parasites, H. pylori, signs and symptoms that something's off in the gut, little self-tests that you can do on yourself, herbs for gut health, low-carb foods, and whether or not it's best to do things like carnivore and low-carb when you're thinking of the gut health. I also touched on enemas, and I've always wanted to ask her this question. I was super surprised with her answer. And just celiac, I mean, so many things. I cannot wait for you to listen to today's episode. So let's just like get to it. Otherwise, I may explode. <laughs> okay, enjoy it. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. Hey, Ashley, how are you? Hi, Leanne. I am so excited to be here. It's so great. I've known you on Instagram for quite some time. And then I don't even know what happened. Like I messaged you or you messaged me and I'm like, wait, you're talking to me. Like what is happening right now? We both follow each other and we didn't even know it. And you're awesome. And I can't wait to talk with you about all the things gut related. Oh, thank you. I was so excited when you reached out because I actually started following you back in the day. I was working at my very first clinic and you were sort of the voice in the space around holistic nutrition and low carb diets that were really coming onto the scene. So I remember watching some of your YouTube videos and that was sort of how I started following you. And then I feel like we've come full circle. We're like two Canadian girls living our dreams. And now we're getting to sit down and chat all things gut. Yeah, that's so cool. So I already did your official bio, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I always kind of say my story started with my celiac disease diagnosis. And that was sort of the point in my life where I first started thinking about my gut health. Prior to that, I grew up in like a really low health literacy family. And there was just no talk about nutrition or some foods being beneficial while other foods maybe, you know, detracting a little bit more from health. Definitely not about gut health, even though many of my family members also had celiac disease. And when I kind of got my celiac into remission, so I was no longer testing positive for celiac disease due to adhering strictly to a gluten-free diet, 
I still felt terrible. And that was when I started realizing that there's maybe more to this gut health thing and maybe more to health in general than just diagnose the disease, you know, very limited treatment, maybe more than gluten could be affecting my gut health. At the time I was in school for archaeology of all things. And that was when I started going down this rabbit hole of like, what is the natural human diet? Why are humans the only animal that don't have a natural diet? And this was a few years before the paleo diet stuff came out. So when that all started becoming a topic in pop culture, I was like, you know what? If people are devoting to their lives to this, so can I. So I switched my major. Um, I was studying dietetics. And as I'm sure happens to many of us in that industry, became sort of disillusioned with the hospital life and the more medical way of looking at nutrition. So I went down the more holistic nutrition route. And, uh, you know, fast forward, here we are today. And my practice specializes in gut health. And I get to just learn about this stuff and talk about this stuff and practice this stuff every day. So it all works out really well. That's incredible. Yeah, it's so true. I remember when I decided to become a nutritionist, I went to the University of Alberta and I was really pumped. It's a great dietetics program and I was really excited but I found out that they were sponsored by a lot of industry like pork industry, beef industry. And at the time I was vegan and I was like, this doesn't make sense that if they're sponsored by the beef industry, then how's that going to influence what we're learning? You know, so that's, that's how I decided to go more of the holistic route. And it's cool that you kind of saw there being that opportunity too. So you mentioned that you had had celiac and I'm sure there are women listening that are like, why does that matter? Like just remove the gluten and you're fine. Why do you need to do more? Why, why would that be important? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I actually think there's even some controversy in the space around that question. And of course, it's everyone is individual and everyone's going to have their capacity for what they're able to do. So I always use myself when I'm talking about this because it's kind of my experience. So for sure, in terms of celiac disease, and I'll even back up a little bit for... I know, Leanne, you have a, a little bit more of an advanced audience, but if anyone's tuning in for the first time and they're like, what is celiac disease? So celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. And it's actually, if you're going to get an autoimmune disease, I always say this is the best one because it is only in response to gluten. So it's literally got an on off switch. If you're consuming gluten, celiac disease is on. And if you stop consuming gluten, it will turn off. So it's very, very easy to manage with a very well studied and understood diet. So in celiac disease, when the person consumes gluten, their immune system really doesn't like it. And just like how when you get exposed to any other pathogen, your immune system tries to protect you from it. In celiac disease, when the gluten is interacting with the villi of the small intestine, which are kind of like the little fingers in your small intestine that grab onto nutrients and help get them into your bloodstream, the immune system will actually kind of blow up the gluten while it is interacting with those villi and it takes some of those fingers off with it. So this leads to malnutrition, really low levels of nutrients because you're not able to grab onto that nutrition and pull it into the bloodstream. So the solution is you stop eating gluten. Eventually those villi are going to regrow and theoretically here we now have a healthy small intestine environment and you're able to consume and absorb nutrients like any other person. But gut health is a little bit more complex than just that. And when somebody has celiac disease undiagnosed for many years, there's a lot of other things that can start happening. And if those cells don't have what they need in order to regrow, or if the immune system doesn't like other ingredients or other foods, that recovery process can be a little bit different it can maybe take a little bit longer. And a lot of people who get diagnosed with celiac disease, once that small intestine is coming up healthy on biopsy or the gluten antibodies in the bloodstream are no longer elevated, they're still having gastrointestinal symptoms. And at that point, they get diagnosed with IBS. And then you know treatment is a lot less straightforward and it's a lot more complicated. And some people would argue it's maybe more of a diagnosis of exclusion at that point. So 
at that point, I like working with people who have celiac once they've gone through that first year. I think if you have celiac disease, it's you can get that under control, maybe working with like a celiac dietitian. If you still don't feel well, once all of your rechecks are clear, then we need to go a little bit deeper. And if somebody has the mental, emotional, financial capacity to do that, we can discover some really cool things through that work. Mm, completely. And I guess... My next question should really be about some of the things that we do on a daily basis that could impact our gut. You know, for the women listening, we're primarily eating generally a low carb diet. Sometimes we'll have like burger and fries or pizza, but generally it's a low carb diet. Are there certain things within the low carb diet that may impact gut health? Like how, when we're eating low carb, is it either benefiting or in some cases, destroying our gut health? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm sure clinically you see this too, that it's sort of all over the map because low carb means different things to different people. And what I really like about your approach, Leanne, is that like low carb doesn't equal low plants. It doesn't equal low fiber. It doesn't equal low polyphenol. I think you've always been really good at making sure that when you're talking about low carb, you're integrating a lot of those things that are important ingredients for gut health because they are really important. So if I'm working with a client who has a history of like eating keto or low carb and they didn't have have that emphasis on plant foods, sometimes we'll run a stool test and we'll really see that those beneficial flora are so depleted and specific species I notice are tend to be hit harder than others when it comes to this. But in general, all of our microbiome benefits mostly from eating plants. And when the amount of fiber that we're eating is very, very low, most of that fiber gets fed to bacteria kind of at the top of the large intestine. And then when that food continues to travel through and actually the microbial density gets more and more as you reach the lower end of the large intestine, there's nothing really left for them. So if you don't have enough fiber, they're going to go to town on the meat fibers. They're going to start you know, consuming that. And that's where we tend to see problems. That's where we tend to see maybe you know negative changes in the colon, increased risk of of colorectal cancer. And a lot of people will blame the meat for that. And I think you and I have a very similar story that we've we've both maybe been on that side of the fence at one time. But really what it is, is actually the lack of plant food. So it's not really that meat is bad and plants are good. It's that everything has a balance in nature and in our bodies, that balance is really important to maintain. So if you're eating low carb, that's totally fine. But you know, there are so many low carb vegetables that you should still be eating a good four to six cups per day in terms of ensuring that the microbiome isn't going to be hit too hard. EMF. You've probably heard a lot of people speak about this over the last couple of months. Exposure happens every day from microwave ovens, mobile phones, laptops, earbuds, Wi-Fi, 5G, and many people, especially those who have lived or worked in mold, are sensitive to EMF. In addition to being a possible carcinogenic, EMF may also cause other health issues, including headaches, fatigue, general malaise, muscle pain, nausea, sleep disturbances, and short-term memory loss. So what do you do to protect yourself? Do what I do and block the EMF because getting off your laptop or living phone free isn't a realistic solution for most people. Bond Charge has EMF protection products that guarantee up to 99% EMF blocking. They have EMF protection earphones, laptop mats that you literally just put under your laptop to protect yourself, a harmonizing sticker that you put on your phone, protection blanket that you can wear on flights or while watching TV, or an EMF protection hat and beanie to protect your brain. You can go to bondcharge.com slash KDP and use the coupon code KDP to save 20%. That's bondcharge, B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com slash KDP. KDP and use the coupon code KDP to save 20%. Completely agree with you a million percent. I know that there are multiple women now thinking, 
okay, but like I have gut issues when I eat plants. So the reason why I went on a low carb diet or the reason I'm on carnivore is because when I even eat a little bit of broccoli or a little bit of spinach or whatever, it just, I'm in so much pain. So what does that even mean? It must be that my gut is in bad shape or that I'm just not meant to eat plants. Mm, yeah. I've actually noticed I don't get a lot of that in my practice, but I feel like there's been a lot of that in the conversation. And I would like the opportunity to work with or even get to know more of those people just from from an interest perspective, because I would love to see what is going on in their guts. In general, my approach to that is kind of like, don't blame your body. Your body loves you. It is so intelligently designed and it wants to do the right thing, but something is blocking natural function. Um, and for those people, like if I could give one piece of advice, it's find a way to work with somebody like do not try to tackle that on your own because that is such a, a far progressed state of imbalance in the gut that you know this is all i do and all i've done for the last decade and i think i would even be intimidated if i was in a situation like that oh completely i know that that was where i was at for a long time and i didn't really know what i was doing I, so even as a holistic nutritionist i mean in school we learned about the gut, but it was really just about eating right for the gut and maybe like taking some aloe vera. So I literally thought that if I just drank bone broth and had some aloe vera over time, my gut would just heal. Mm, it's not yeah. a thing. Like it's just, <laughs> It didn't work. <laughs> Yeah. And as I'm sure I think you've, you've experienced even personally as well, sometimes there are factors. Like sometimes we have little friends in there that are really throwing things off for us and no amount of bone broth or aloe is going to solve that problem. And I'm totally guilty of that as well. You know, as a clinician, you know that the real transformation comes from one-on-one -on -one work with somebody where you're just focusing on them and it's not general advice. But you want to help the masses. So you, you know, share an Instagram post about the benefits of aloe. And yes, for some people, that is going to actually be quite distracting because aloe should be, you know, step nine in their journey. And they're still on step one, spinning their wheels. Mm -hmm, completely. And so you mentioned little friends. Can we talk a little bit about the little friends? Because little friends are my personal favorite. <laughs> what did you mean by little friends? Uh, yeah. So, you know, we're talking about parasites here. Definitely could also be talking about bacteria, but in general, I think that parasites are something that's really coming into the public awareness right now as something that is, you know, a potential root cause for a lot of GI issues that are otherwise being brushed off or, you know, suggested to be managed by a low FODMAP diet or something like that. So I actually had a really cool case study last month where I had a client who had gone through all of that. So she had worked with all of the great, you know, medical evidence-based clinicians and really given a hundred percent full effort to all of those strategies. And you know, came into my practice still not feeling well. It was such a simple, we just did a stool test and found that she had a bunch of parasites. And within a really short period, I mean, in this case study, it was, it was something where I recommended, you know, maybe do a 10 day course of antibiotics for this. You're going to feel a lot better. Oh, a lot wow. faster. Um, and she did within a week, you know, all symptoms are gone and we're just working on cleaning house now, but it was something where years of work and trying all of those all of those different approaches that, you know, are evidence-based and there's great studies on them. But by saying that parasites are just this woo-woo thing that no one wants to talk about, a lot of people fall between the cracks. Yes. I, I just started working with a client a couple of weeks ago and she was in a program for managing mineral imbalances. And like, I love the idea that certain pathogens will create certain mineral deficiencies depending on what you have and minerals are consistently needing to be shifted and moved depending on your body. I totally get that. But no amount of mineral shifting is going to kill a parasite. And sure enough, yep, parasite confirmed. And it's really unfortunate. Why do you think it is that parasites are often overlooked? You know, I've had, I've had many clients that have had food poisoning and obviously have some situations going on and it's kind of just overlooked. Like, don't worry about it. The diarrhea will stop. What are your thoughts? What have you seen as to why they're not taken as seriously or why people think it's just not an issue? You can't get them in North America. 
I really don't know. And I ask myself that question all the time because it, to me, seems so obvious. Every other country, you know, with a developed medical system is prioritizing this here in North America. We're not at all. And it's, it's almost like you get laughed at or, you know, you're a quack if you even talk about this stuff. And there are a handful of parasites that are medically recognized and have medical treatments that exist for them. But for some reason, it's almost this like humans are on a completely different level than anything else in nature attitude. And I don't know if it's like a, like it it affects how we see ourselves or it makes us feel more vulnerable to know that this is something that could happen to us, or if it maybe just freaks people out and they don't like to talk about it and don't like to think about it. But I do think that this is changing because you know, like, look at your story, look at your clients, look at how many people have been massively impacted by this because this was missed. And it took until 1997 before anyone even discovered that a bacteria called H. pylori caused ulcers. Prior to that, it wasn't even a conversation. It was impossible that there could be any external factor other than stress causing this. So sometimes it just takes longer, I think, for the medical community to come around to these ideas. But I do you think we are getting there? Yes, completely. I had a client. Oh, this is such a great story because she's Canadian and any Canadian knows that when you go to your doctor, unless you have a really good doctor, which is so hard to find, I know they exist in Canada. Some might be listening. Hey friend. But like generally when a Canadian goes to their doctor, it's like you are crossing your fingers and toes that they are going to listen and at least do one of the things that you've asked for. And I had a client that was bit by some sort of bug last year. And I can see the pattern in the blood work that something bacterial happened and it has not gone away. Patterns that have been shown to reflect what looks like Lyme. And she actually asked her doctor for certain tests and the doctor said yes to all of them. Like, I was just like, what is happening right now? So I think that things are changing, but it can be so incredibly frustrating when you listen to podcasts like this and you're like, okay, I think this is what's going on. I definitely need help. And I I just want to take a moment to encourage you to find a practitioner that's more in line with uh, prevention than diagnostic solutions. The reason why is if you've gone to the doctor and the doctor looks at everything and they say you're fine, generally you're fine diagnostically. They're looking for serious big things that they could diagnose you with. If your doctor's looked through that and they're saying you're good, it doesn't mean that there's something functionally happening that you could improve upon before it gets diagnostic. And so I think that understanding the two, if you're going to the doctor for functional support, the doctor's not trained in functional support. They're trained in like diagnostic, serious situations, whereas functional practitioners are more involved in the prevention and overall function of the body. And I I know that when I learned that for myself of going to the right practitioner for the right things, it changed everything and lowered my frustration quite a lot. Oh my gosh, that is such a good point. And yes, absolutely. If I get hit by a car outside of my own clinic, don't bring me inside. (laughs) Drive me immediately to the ER. I do not need any type of naturopathic support. I don't need an herbalist. I need a surgeon stat. But going to a surgeon or going to a medical doctor and getting frustrated that they're not giving you diet and lifestyle interventions, absolutely, it's not their fault. You have hired the wrong person for the job. And it's just that they, not that their toolbox is less valuable. It's just not applicable to your situation. Completely, completely. I know another big thing that I've seen quite often getting more and more into parasites and and mold work is a lot of people that do parasite work for too long, not understanding that there's likely mold in their home or they've had uh, been subjected to mold in the past. So for anyone listening that has like, yeah, but I've done the parasite thing. It's totally a hoax. It doesn't work. I was on a parasite cleanse for over a year. One, maybe it was the wrong type of thing for your body and just one of those kits or situations, but also could be that there's mold. And so I just wanted to highlight that because I'm seeing that quite a lot. Do you see that also? 
You know, I'm definitely not a mold expert. I feel like maybe I'm a little bit behind in terms of getting caught up on Con Ed on this subject. So anytime I see or suspect that, I always refer out to someone who is just has put the time into learning about that stuff. But I'm seeing more and more of it, which I think is interesting because I don't know if it's like climate or weather changes or COVID. Like COVID. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely something going on. And I feel like more and more people are being affected by this. And definitely I've had clients in my practice where there's definitely a deeper layer to this. I actually had someone last summer who, oh my gosh, this young girl, she was only, you know, under 25. She suddenly was so sick, totally disoriented, couldn't walk. And you know how sometimes you just know... I was like, I I feel like this is mold. And she said, no way. There's no mold in my house. We looked everywhere. And I was like, okay. Somehow Lyme came up. I referred her. She got tested for Lyme, tested positive for a co-infection. Didn't hear from her for a little while. And I reached out to her a couple of months ago just to find out where she ended up and what was going on and hoping that she was okay. And she told me that they actually ended up finding mold in the house. So they tore something down or a wall and they found mold and they ended up moving and she's doing so much better now, right? Such an important thing. Oh, it's so important. And so many, it's usually the ones who are like, nah, there's no mold in my house. I'm like, (laughs) there is so much mold in your house. (laughs) That's always the case. That's always the case. And so you were chatting a little bit about bacteria. Can we talk a little bit about that? You, You mentioned H. pylori as being a bacteria that causes ulcers. Are there other bacterias that we may be familiar with or not in the gut or like, what's the bacteria piece to all of this? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to bacteria, so I think this is again, where there's a big divergence between how more natural health professionals and more medically trained health professionals look at the body. So if you're medically trained, you look at the body kind of like a machine and it's like, what part is broken and how do I repair only that part? Whereas in natural health, we view the body more as an ecosystem. And we know that if we're looking at our body as an ecosystem, the cells that are bacterial actually outnumber the cells that are human by like 100 to 1. It's some crazy ratio. So we have a lot of bacteria on us, in us. There's such an important relationship and co-evolution between humans and bacteria. None of us would be okay if we didn't have bacteria. There was a you know a time in history when some, some country was trying to like lay claim on <laughs> the South Pole and they were sending all these pregnant women there with the idea that if the women had their babies there, then they would be able to claim any resources that were then extracted from that land. But a lot of these babies didn't even make it because in such a cold environment, there's such little microbial diversity going around that they just weren't getting the bacteria that they needed in order to function properly. So if you take one thing away from this, I hope it's that bacteria is a good thing. We actually want and need a lot of bacteria in and on our bodies in order to be healthy. But (laughs) when we're not taking good enough care of the good guys, which is so easy with our modern lifestyle to neglect them, there are a handful of bad guys that can absolutely come in and wreak havoc on the situation. So one of those definitely being H. pylori. Um, So this is a bacteria that was discovered in biopsy tissue from ulcers in the stomach. And eventually, you know, a a couple decades later, it was established that this bacteria plays a causative role in those ulcers. So for sure, that's a bacteria that can cause a big problem in the stomach. We also have, you know, everyone knows someone who's had food poisoning, who ate undercooked chicken. We all know to like wash our hands really well after we handle raw chicken because there is a bacteria called salmonella. There's E. coli. There's, you know, once you get a little bit deeper into the more um, like clinical side of things, there's Pseudomonas, there's Morganella, there's Klebsiella, there's all kinds of these microbes that when they're in the gut and there isn't the right balance of good guys to keep them in check, can do a lot of damage, trigger a lot of inflammation and set the stage for 
further problems. If you consume a parasite and you have H. pylori that's interfering with your parietal cells and interfering with your stomach acid production, it's like the bodyguard at the front door of your body was off duty that day. So parasite comes in, gets through the front door, gets down wherever, whatever part of the body it prefers to colonize in and if all of the situation or all of the circumstances are right, now you have a full-on parasite infestation because there were all of these blocks that it got through. So I think that I always kind of go back to bacteria because that's like our organ. You know, we have this microbiome. It's kind of like an organ in our body. And if it's not healthy, then we can contract all of these other problems. So I think a lot of this uptick in parasitic issues is actually a byproduct of decades of neglecting the health of our microbiome, if that makes sense. Totally. Completely it does. And so what are some of the signs and symptoms that somebody would have that would point to their gut being not so great? Well, anything that you would notice digestively, I think would be the first. So if you're consuming food and then immediately feeling unwell, then that could be related to your actual digestive function, right? Maybe there's an issue with the enzymes. Maybe there's an issue with the liver. If it's onsetting a couple of hours later, maybe it's a little bit more of a microbiome issue. You're having that you know, fermentation or gas or that extreme bloating, that feeling of trapped gas after you eat. But it can actually be extra intestinal as well. Uh, the majority of celiac symptoms are extra intestinal. So that means that they happen outside of the gut, which no one told me when I was diagnosed with celiac that the fact that I am so tiny and short <laughs> might be related to how my body developed because of having celiac or that the dental health of a lot of individuals is also connected to having celiac disease, brain fog, fatigue, skin issues. So you know, I'm kind of a broken record here and you know, maybe take it with a grain of salt because obviously if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I've been specializing in gut health for a long time, but I would say that if you have any chronic health issue, that is probably a sign that things could be off in the gut because that is sort of like the root, the ground, the soil of your health. And if the soil is not healthy, nothing is going to grow right. Whether you're keto, low-carb, paleo, or somewhere in between, electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. This is amplified on the ketogenic diet, but every human requires this balance. When you have adrenal hypo or hyperfunction, this affects your body's ability to balance sodium and potassium. Do you get headaches behind your left eye? This is a good sign that you need sodium. Headaches behind your right eye? This is a good sign you need potassium. Nearly every one of my clients that I work one-on-one -on -one with have an imbalance of electrolytes when they first come to see me. Symptoms such as headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, or seen right there in their blood work. Much of this is improved with proper electrolyte supplementation. Now, I personally consume at least one packet of electrolytes daily, and not just any electrolyte, element electrolytes, because it doesn't have sugar, fillers, coloring, artificial, gunk, and has the effective electrolyte ratio that so many other guys don't do right, with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, that perfect combination. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single serving packets free with any element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash KDP. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash kdp element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it totally risk free if you don't like it share it with a friend and they will give you your money back no questions asked you really have nothing to lose i just love these guys again it's drinklmnt.com slash kdp mm -hmm. it's really the gateway like when it's broken everything else gets broken and things that would normally just go right through you. Like you were talking about with the parasite example, you should be able to consume raw fish like sushi and it not give you a parasitic infection. 
you know, like the soil should be so incredibly fantastic that it's just not allowing for that to take root. Um, so I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. By the time most of us have had sushi, we've also had, you know, three to five rounds of antibiotics in our lifetime. Exactly. Oh, it's so true. And I know I, I personally still have work to do in this area. I mean, I had an eating disorder and all sorts of things. And so my gut is momentously better, but it's funny. Uh, our friend caught a mahi probably about two months ago. And I was so excited about this. He made some sashimi and all these things. And I just ate it after my husband even said, you know, like, isn't that raw fish? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's the best. And I was eating it. And then I was like, Leanne, what are you doing? You can't do this yet. You're not ready. And sure enough, within, I don't know, two weeks, all the parasitic symptoms started coming up again. I was like, are you kidding me? So I think when you're in that space too, of that healing, I think oftentimes, I know when I work with my clients, there's there's a process to this. And I think oftentimes when you start working through this and you're doing, you're eating different things and you know, you're going through a protocol, oftentimes you need to be careful. At least myself personally, I've noticed like while I'm in a protocol, I do need to be careful, but life does shift and you're able to have different food. And so if you can't have the broccoli now, it's not like you'll forever need to be removing the broccoli. And I think that's the standard level of care currently is if you are sensitive to histamines, just remove histamines and you won't have an issue with it anymore. Or if you're sensitive to FODMAPs, just have a FODMAP free life. It's not that hard. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, no, <laughs> let's fix that soil. Like you were saying, fix that root so that you can have the things that you want to have and, and you have more of a resilient gut. Would you agree? Absolutely. Building gastrointestinal resilience is always the goal. And that isn't something that happens over a couple of months. And it's like, if your skin has a sunburn, you are going to treat your skin differently when it actively has a sunburn than you would if it didn't. So same with your gut. If things are off, yes, you need to be following a protocol, but that doesn't mean that you need to eat that way for the rest of your life. And in, in fact, if the protocol that you have been prescribed requires you to follow it for the rest of your life in order to maintain results, I think that's a big red flag. Mm -hmm. Completely. Huge red flag. <laughs> and so let's just say that somebody has determined that probably there's something wrong with their gut. Are there certain tools and assessments for figuring out what's actually going on with the gut? Can you just use symptoms? Are there certain tests that you prefer in your practice? Yeah. So first thing anyone can do at home for free is a transit test. And I think that this is a really good tool just to get an idea of like baseline gut health, you know, is everything working properly? So with a transit test, this is where you will eat a food that is going to show up in your stool later. So beets are a really good one. You could do corn if you do okay with corn and sesame seeds are another that I recommend often with sesame seeds, you can't chew them. So you kind of got to like stir them up in a glass of water and toss it back. But the idea here is you're going to make a note of when you consumed that food. And then you are going to make a note of when you see that food in the toilet. And we're looking for around 12 to 24 hours being optimal here. Medical doctors will tell you that up to three days is just fine, completely normal. But I have not yet met anyone who poops every three days or who has food staying inside of them for three days at a time who's really doing well in terms of their health. So that's sort of a self-assessment that you can do just to get a little bit more connected with your body, get comfortable looking at your poop, start paying attention to what's going on in there. Clinically, on the medical side, we've got you know colonoscopies and endoscopies and all kinds of imaging tests. And they'll also do maybe some stool testing. That's really basic. So they'll look for you know the five parasites that have been you know proven to kill you. But if all of that comes back negative, then that's where you might want to look more into the functional medicine side of things. A lot of clinicians in this area will use stool testing that is a little bit more sensitive and looks for things that aren't just proven to kill you, but could be affecting your quality of life and contributing to some of those symptoms. I'm a big fan of the GI map. That's what I use in my practice and it's standard of care. So every single person that I work with does this test because I really find it that helpful. Do you use that in your practice, Leanne? 
Girl, do I ever. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite one. Like I cannot stand other ones. Like I do not like the doctor's data one at all. It catches so little. Yeah. GI map all the way. Love those guys. Love what they're doing. I love being able to take a client through a report is also really important to me. Like so that they can see it and understand it. And I really like how they lay things out. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, me too. And actually on the doctor's data note, I'll try to remember to send this to you. I have a, a client who just a week ago, she decided to do, and this is, you know, totally her own volition. I just have the coolest clients who are like nerdy like me, but she asked me if she could come pick up a GI map from my clinic. And then she went to, she has a naturopathic doctor. So she went there and she picked up a doctor's data and she did them both using the same stool sample. So I am very excited to see a direct comparison of when we have the exact same sample, what one lab is saying and what another lab is saying. Um, but in my, in my experience of using all of the stool tests, the one I keep coming back to is the GI map because just so much good information, best bang for your buck in terms of what you're paying and what you're learning. And I find it really great to be able to take clients through that. Like you said, just being able to, you know, here's what's off, but also here's what's not. Here's what your body is doing so good at and like congratulate your body for what it is absolutely crushing. And we are always operating from the belief that the body is smart and knows what it's doing and wants to function optimally, but something is blocking the normal physiology. So what is that? And through testing like GI map, we're usually able to find something that can even point us in that direction. Um, since you do so much work with parasites, I'm really curious about your opinion, Leanne, about like parasites and GI map. Do you use that tool alone or are you using other tools as well to assess? That is such a great question. And I've just found that though GI map is amazing and it will catch some parasites, it's not my number one tool for parasites, like at all. I find most of the pathogenic ones are more common on there. Like Giardia is found quite a lot um, in the GI map, but any of the other ones, it's just not a good tool for determining parasitic imbalance. Like if I see it on there, I'm like, yay, we found it. But I mean, you could probably do uh, a GI map. For example, I have a client who tested positive for Giardia on her GI map. And she really wanted to do a GI map every month. That's so expensive. And I said, we don't need to, but she really wanted to do it. And she wanted to track it all. And I was like, cool. There were some times where it would show up and sometimes where it wouldn't. And it's like, it's just not an reliable enough. So what I use personally for parasites more than anything is blood work. So the isonophils is a big one, assuming that the person doesn't have any um, breathing issues uh, because isonophils can be elevated uh, due to parasitic imbalance, um, but also any breathing issues. So like, for example, if you had COVID and you were on oxygen, I'm going to see your isonophils probably at least at 13, if not more. That doesn't mean you have a parasitic infection on top of COVID. It just means you're having a hard time breathing. So that can be used sometimes, um, but so can IgE which is a standard blood. It, it costs just a couple of dollars and we can use that because IgE is used generally in parasitic imbalances and uh, low ferritin is another great one. If I see a ferritin between like 25 to 50, that's usually, it's usually parasites. Like it's usually parasites in conjunction with the isonophils. Generally also see monocytes and basophils elevated and then symptoms. Like if you're telling me that your symptoms get worse at the full moon and you have anal itching and eye floaters, I'm like that coupled with blood work. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't need a GI map to tell you that you probably have parasites. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important thing as well to highlight because I get a lot of questions. You know, anytime I hop on IG stories with like a, a case study or something like that, always, and I'm sure you get it too, people hitting up the DMs, how can I order this test? How can I get this test? And they think that if they could just order their own GI map and look for what comes up in red, that they would have all the information that they need. But this is something where, you know, like, like we said at the beginning, it's not about diagnostics. It's not about finding the disease, finding what part of the machine is broken and fixing it. It's about 
understanding a little bit better what is going on in terms of patterns. And in order to do that, you really need to make sure you are working with someone who gets those patterns and who isn't just looking at what comes up in red and who's also taking into account, like like you said, like you do a whole blood work analysis in addition to what's coming up on the GI map, because even though it's a great tool, there is no one tool that is going to get people there. So I think that's really important takeaway as well. You're so right. I like to think of it and maybe you do something similar as a practitioner. I'm like trying to tap into the song your body is currently making. So like I need all of the data and this is what I love so much about my job that I can just sit there with all the information. I'm like looking at all these different things and it's not just one thing. I think that's what makes a functional practitioner's job challenging and exciting is like you have to look in multiple different areas for the answer and kind of so you can pick together all the different notes of the song and kind of come together with the summary of like, okay, here's currently the music your body is making. And here's the music we want it to be making. And here are the notes we need to change to make that shift. And when I think of it like that, yeah, it's Oh man, I wish that I had had access to what we're talking about like 10 years ago, because I would, I would go to the naturopaths and they would run one stool test and be like, okay, you have candida. We'll, we'll address that. And then I would address the candida and things still wouldn't get better. And then it's okay. You have celiac, you need to remove gluten. So I would remove that and nothing would get better. And it's just these piecemeal things just don't work. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think like I always say, like for those of us who are in this line of work, if we weren't in healthcare, we would all be PIs, like sleuthing around. (laughs) It's that same kind of drive, that detective energy. You want that on your healthcare team. (laughs) That's so true. That is so true. So let's say that one is determined they've maybe done a GI map or the transit test and they're like, okay, my gut is not the best. Are there certain things that they could do to help the gut? I don't, it's always challenging. You don't want, like you want to empower people to do work and like put the work in for those that perhaps can't work with a practitioner, but you also don't want to encourage somebody to keep going in on their own when they really need somebody. But just generally, what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that our gut is not being affected by the things we're doing on a daily basis? Yeah, that's a really good question. And of course, you know, my, my highest wish for every single person is that they get one-on-one individualized care from somebody who really, really cares about them and sees them as a full person. If that is not what you need right now, that is not what you're able to access right now, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything. There are so many things that you can do. And something I always focus on is coming back to plants. So when gut bacteria were discovered, actually, I still say it all the time. I always say gut flora, you know, microflora. That's actually scientifically inaccurate. They're not flora. So they were called flora because they were thought to be plants that were inside of our bodies. Um, but they're not plants, they're bacteria. So the, the scientifically correct term here is microbiota. But I think that's really beautiful because it almost highlights this need between humans and plants and this relationship where every cell in your body is dependent on something from plants. So I always say when you are just at the beginning of your journey, focus on getting a little bit cozier with plants. That could be really looking at the plants in your diet. Your beneficial microbes need them. And if you have more beneficial microbes, there is a possibility that for some people, that little army is going to take care of whatever is going on. Now, that's not always going to be the case, but sometimes it is. And giving your little you know, gut army, your good guys, your beneficial microbiota, a fighting chance is kind of step one. And that doesn't have to look like eating a ton of broccoli if you're not there yet. But maybe Bring in, bringing in some herbal medicine, maybe bringing in some chamomile, some like slippery elm, even things like psyllium. I'm a big fan of in terms of it feeds the good guys. It can help a lot with gut health. So focusing on just getting enough plants in your diet, playing a little bit with herbs. You usually won't hurt yourself by you know making a new type of tea once a week or something like that. Adding things into broths. If you're doing bone broth, like throw some medicinal mushrooms in there. Maybe throw some um, astragalus, like different 
things, different plants that you maybe weren't doing. And then obviously nervous system stuff is the other thing I always say to focus on. Make sure you're sleeping enough. Make sure you're managing stress. My ideal situation is that when I work with a client, they've already been seeing a therapist and they've already been doing, you know, whatever, whatever regulates their nervous system. Some people that's going to be walk, some people that's going to be like meditating, some people that's going to be prayer, like whatever resonates with you and gets your nervous system system in the place that it needs to be to heal. Do that before you go on this journey, because if you can regulate your nervous system before you find out you have a parasite, you're going to get better a lot faster. It's so true. I cannot tell you how often we get started with protocols with my clients and about three months in, I'm like, okay, stop the bus, everybody off. We got to do the nervous system stuff. Like this isn't working. You're going to spend so much time, energy and money and it's just wasted. Like the body cannot respond. It's almost like it needs a nervous system reboot. Like it just needs to be shut down and restarted in order to fully heal. So I couldn't agree with you more on that nervous system piece. And I think we, we say, well, I'll I'll work on the stress piece once I have all this figured out, or once I lose the weight or whatever. And it's just like, no, it really needs to come first in in some way, shape or form. It needs to come first. Oh yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on enemas for gut? I've always wanted to ask you this question. I'm so excited. I have no idea how you're going to answer. I was hoping you wouldn't ask me this question. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know you're a big fan of them. And I I always, I'm like, I don't want to say anything. Say say whatever you want. I am not, I never, ever have ever controlled anything that any guest has ever said. So if I disagree with you, that's totally okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's honestly, it's not something that I'm like against. I think because... I think I just go back to kind of like where my journey started and the education that I received as baseline. And I'm just like, that seems a little out there for me. And that said, I have clients that love them. I have clients that are like all besties with their colon hydrotherapists and big fans of them. And I will never knock it because I've never tried it. So that would just be ridiculous of me to say anything negative about it. But it's also not something that I recommend because it's just not something that I know enough about. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of like all I have to say on the matter is it's like out of my toolbox, I guess I would say like just just not a tool that I incorporate. If someone is looking for information about that, I'll usually refer to them to someone like you who has a little bit more to bring to the table in terms of experience and knowledge with that. But I would also love to hear maybe your perspective on why this is a practice that is important for your gut health. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Yeah, well, we were just talking about the nervous system and I find one of the most important parts of enemas is actually how it stimulates the vagus nerve. And so a lot of my clients who are just having issues in that area, I found it to be quite beneficial just to help with relaxation. Now, if your nervous system is like wackadoodle crazy, sometimes it's too much to the point where you can't even take in an enema, but I've seen them be quite beneficial. The So In order to understand enemas, you first need to understand kind of there are so many different types and there's so many different goals depending on what you're wanting to accomplish. And so as it relates to gut healing, generally we're going to be using more ozone-based enemas, mineral-based enemas than if you're wanting to also support other drainage pathways like the liver or gallbladder. So I love coffee enemas for this. But myself personally, I was like, one coffee and I'm a good, why not every day? And I blew through my bile, my stool started turning gray, it was not a good situation, because it's just too much. And Gershon therapy came up with this kind of coffee enema and really went behind it with a lot of things. But people with Gershon therapy are doing like a ton of minerals and juices and things like that. So they're replenishing things a lot better. But I think generally, I know for myself personally, the minute that I incorporated ozonated water enemas every other day, 
it was like a night and day difference to my ability to kill a parasite that would just wouldn't go away. And that's why I was touching on the mold piece. If you have multiple root causes happening at the same time with um, parasites and mold, especially it is, you get kind of get in this area where it's like, we've killed a good amount of parasites, but they're still going to be there until we address the biological toxin, generally mold in nature, sometimes Bartonella, which is a Lyme co-infection. But you kind of have to do this dance between addressing mold, going back to parasites, addressing mold, going back to parasites. And it can be quite exhausting. And with the ozonated water that you've ozonated, distilled water, okay, and then use that as an enema, it is a night and day difference to the point I don't have to do as much back and forth. Parasites, mold, parasites, mold. It's just like, okay, we have the enema thing figured out. The ozonated water is doing its thing. Let's keep working on the mold. And oh, it is just, I could not live life without it. I'm telling you, like it is that essential for myself personally. But I would say of a hundred clients, maybe five or 10 of them are doing enemas often. So yeah. Yeah. So it's still not something that's like, it's like a step 10 thing. We're going to do a lot of things before we get there. Oh yeah, totally. And most people are not open to this. So most clients, myself included. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I remember going to a listening nutrition school and there was a girl, her name was Amanda. She was obsessed with coffee enemas. She got all students a coffee enema kit and she's like, try this. It's going to be great. And it sat in my condo for, I don't even know how long I did not even open that thing. Like, why would I do this? But kind of understanding coffee enemas, especially how beneficial they can be to overall tissue health, blood circulation, um, regeneration of the cells. I mean, you can feel it. Like I am just jacked up in the best way. And now I just do like one coffee enema a week, the ozonated water enema every other day. And, but it's, it's hard to convince people to do it, but I swear, like, I don't recommend things that I don't personally do and like love, love. And this is like a love, love, like it's okay. So it's my birthday today. And the only only thing I wanted to do was like, I just want to have an ozonated water enema, please. I would just like that very much for my birthday. Like, what is, Uh, what is wrong with me? (laughs) Well, happy birthday. That's so exciting. Thanks. (laughs) I love that you're spending this with me and your energy around this is contagious. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, maybe I'll be open to it. One day, what you said about the stimulation of the vagus nerve, I think that 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 kind of pulled my attention more than anything because here in Canada, vagus nerve stimulation was just approved as a treatment for long COVID. It's been researched for treatment of depression. So I really think that this is a next frontier in terms of healthcare. And even though there's that little voice in my head that's like, you shouldn't flush out the colon. I'm also, I'm open. I don't think I would really, really hurt myself with this. So maybe, maybe I'll give it a try. Hear that, friends? New one converted. No, I'm just <laughs> well, if you end up trying it, let me know. I have all sorts of recipes. I've tried all sorts of things. There's some crazy things. Like people use crazy stuff. I'm not into the crazy. It's just always, always for those listening, always distilled water. Your Berkey is not distilled water. Do not use that. Okay. We want like super clean water distilled is the only way to go. And then you can remineralize it and do all sorts of things with it. But do not use your Berkey water or your tap water. Don't do that. Do not do that. So I think this is one where you know, if this is something you want to do, like book an appointment with Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would only do this with like hand holding level of guidance. I would not tackle this on my own. You know, it's funny. We were talking about how you can use salt water, like seawater, as enemas if you're stranded on your boat and don't have access to water, and it can actually rehydrate you. I don't know how this came up around the fire with a bunch of cruisers, and I don't know what I said. It was sort of like, yeah, I help my clients with enemas, and everyone. Kind of looked over like you do this personally with people like you know what i wouldn't be opposed like i i'm so down with that i love these so much i could totally be one of those people like it is so cool <laughs> i love that the healthful pursuit colon hydrotherapy clinic with probiotic implantation and <laughs> anti-parasitic herbs in the infusion i can see it now oh that is so cool yeah 
This is a whole other episode. So where can people find more information from you? How do they work with you? Just tell us all the ways that we can connect with you. Yeah, for sure. So I think the best way to connect with me is on Instagram. I'm at Ashley Sauve Health. My last name is spelled S-A-U-V-E. It's a weird French thing. I'll usually come up. <laughs> and a website, same domain, AshleySauveHealth.com if you want to learn a little bit more about working with me. And I also just started a book club, which I think is the most fun thing I've ever done in my career, just for people to be able to kind of connect with like-minded individuals. We pick one book a month. And this month for me, we're doing Gut by Julia Enders. So it's really just a you know brief... It's like that episode of The Magic School Bus where they go in the GI yeah, track. Cool. It's like that. It's in a book. So you kind of just learn about everything from tongue to toilet in terms of what is happening in your own gut. And I'm also an herbalist. We didn't talk a lot about that, but we, we do a lot of books on plant medicine. So if what we talked about today is something you're wanting to learn a little bit more about, that would be a really good resource. I didn't write any of these books, but I'm happy to curate them for everyone. I love that. And I'll, I'll make sure to include all those links, including the one to your book club in the show notes today. So if you guys want to check that out and you're just not sure how to spell Sove or <laughs> any of the things, just go to ketodietpodcast.com and click on episode 380 or just click around on wherever you're listening to this and you can find the show notes listed there. Ashley, thank you so much for hanging out with me and sharing your brilliance with our community. This was really fun. Thank you, Leanne. And thank you for spending your birthday with me. That's a huge honor. I hope you really enjoyed our episode today with Ashley Sauve. You can follow her on her website, AshleySauveHealth.com, her Bacteria and Botanicals Book Club. I will include the link in the show notes. And then also in the show notes will be her Instagram, which is at Ashley Sauve Health. Her last name is S-A-U-V-E. Okay, so if that helps at all. Okay, I will see you back here next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.